So, Jack, how many Naimon have you seen today? Three! <laughs> I have seen three! Amazingly, you managed to make Soldi sound even camper there. Well done. I know, David, uh, Graham, Graham Crowden, was that the actor's name? Yes, right, yeah. Yeah, he, I'm, I'm, my only objective in life is to make that man happy, wherever he may be now. <laughs> and he's still with us as well. He's a very old man now, but he is still with us. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's so exciting. Well, maybe Imagine, we, get him we, to... we should get him to listen to this podcast. Oh, an audio file of him just going, then I won't be praised. <laughs> Well, you have just perfectly segued into the title of our show. Mm. Yes, welcome to the Nine One. So, Be praised. I am Joe, and I'm Jack. And uh, this is a podcast where we discuss all things Doctor Who. And today we are going to you... go on. You tell them what we're going to, what we've listened, what we've watched. This no, week. no, oh. All right. Well, we are we are revisiting a real gem of the time <laughs> of those years in the nineteen seventies. We're a real fan favorite. A real. And uh, if you think, yeah, do, no, no, please finish the sentence. A real doozy of a story that kept me awake, and I certainly did not have to watch in three segments just to get through it. And if you're thinking it's Genesis of the Daleks, <laughs> you are definitely. Not going to be disappointed because we're act- what we're actually talking about is the 1977, 78, no, 78 story uh, Underworld. Underworld. We deliberately we chose for our first episode a story that we both love. Uh, for our second, mm-hmm. we've chosen a story that we both I mean, hate but um, have not enjoyed so much in the past. Just to see if perhaps uh, we would reevaluate it. Yeah, I. It's dread to use, but we'll let's go with it for the time being. Let's reevaluate Underworld. Okay, so to start off with, I do have a question for you. Yes, what do you got? When it comes to classic Doctor Who, how much? does the special effects affect your enjoyment of the stories? I'll put it into, I'll put it into a bit of context um, because back when I was younger, um, it was a real big thing for me was that I would try and make sure that people that weren't fans would be around when I was watching the better looking stories and I would be mortified if my <laughs> family were around and, you know, dodgy effects were on display. This thing I absolutely loved I wanted everyone to see at its best. Obviously, the special effects in Underworld are worth a lot of discussion and it's a big part of sort of the behind the scenes of the story. Does that affect your enjoyment uh, and in classic who in general? Sorry, that's really that's quite a big question. Um, no, 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 no. Um, I personally don't think so. Um because at least as far as classic Doctor Who sto- uh, stories are concerned, all everything is dated. Like even mm. like you know something that has as luscious a production as say the Talons of Wen Chiang, which consumed a big chunk of that season's budget. Even that 
you know, it has a dodgy rat in it. It has, you know. Uh, Funny you should mention whole- that. This week I watched that story with my other half. And mm-hmm. uh, whilst we were watching it, he said when when the rat appeared, he went, have the special effects been redone for this? Because the CGI rat on the Blu-ray looks rather good. You know, they keep it in the shadows. And I was like, yeah, I couldn't. So I did choose the CGI version because I couldn't bear to watch it with him with the old cuddly yeah. rat on display. Yeah, I, I can see the temptation. And certainly I think when I was also a little bit younger, I was also in this mindset as a fan where, you know, I wanted people to love the show mm-hmm. and I wanted them to love the show in a way that is like, you know, of like genuine admiration, not like a kind of mocking disregard. And this is like somewhat different, but I remember um, uh, I was arguing with a friend and I was like, no, Doctor Who is a very serious show. And he, <laughs> and, and he was like, no, it is incredibly camp. Like, you can't tell yeah. me it's not camp. And I was genuinely lost. I was like, no, it, oh, it's, it's not a camp bit of telly. Like, That's, I mean, I think, I think as a child, we reject silly and camp, don't we? But as adults, I don't know. I just, I, it's, it's the campness and the silliness and the funniness of it that I really, really love. That's what, kind of, that's what attracts me to it now. Yeah. Well, at least with special effects, I think it's quite interesting because, you know, I had I had a friend who I got them to watch Blink a couple of years ago, and even they were like, you know, this looks kind of cheap and looks very basic. Mm. Um, and that's something from the new series as well, and that's got, like, a lot more money going into it. But they were just impressed by the storytelling and the writing and the, the acting. So at least for me, when... I revisit the classic series. I personally, I don't judge the effects because you know I, I I think it's unkind to do that. Yeah. Um. To to hold them to a standard of something like you know, as is sometimes the case, like thirty or forty years later. Um. However, um, it does get admittedly a little bit tricky when you get to a story like Underworld, which doesn't have. Uh, necessarily have the writing to back it up. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll make quite a bold statement about Underworld in that I think that the special effects are the most impressive thing about it. I think the fact, if you if you watch the behind-the-scenes stuff, the fact that this was made at all, without any sets, in a way that was never done at the time, um, and the sort of the amount of overtime everyone put in and, and the extra effort, the fact that this was made at all to a broadcastable standard is a miracle. And yeah. those cave scenes, as much as you can tell they're CSO, the way they've done them, they actually have some scope. They actually, those caves feel massive, you know. And there is a sense of uh, like um, depth to them as well. They, they walk in and out behind rock. They, they do a, a pretty good job. It's ambitious and probably a failure, ultimately, because you can tell, you know, that it's been made in a rush but i think the special effects are probably the most the most kind of standout thing about the story yeah i and you know i think underworld you know it's very famously like you know they were it's it came out they made it not long after everybody saw star wars which redefined <laughs> like yeah. sci-fi special effects and what you could do on that and i think it's in its own way, it's very sweet that you have, you know, 
Doctor Who was like, no, we not necessarily going, we want to do Star Wars, but they wanted to achieve something as spectacular effects-wise as Star Wars within a tight budget. And it's a complete failure. Um, but it's so... It's, well, it's, it's so funny you nice. mentioned Star Wars, though, because okay. think think of The Phantom Menace or the, the, the prequels. That's all done on green screen. So that's how they make yeah. films now. How they how, What they were kind of pioneering here, that's how they make movies. Now, obviously, with a lot more money, a lot more time, and a better result. Yeah. But this is kind of where oh. that all began. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not sure you can attribute it directly to Underworld, but they're very much <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Yeah, maybe yeah, right, maybe right. we're giving Underworld a bit too much There's, praise there. Yeah, I, it's certainly like a precursor, and you have it, and like full credit to them. Like you know, they're they're really going for it. Like the ambition that they've got there to mm. do it is is really laudable. And I think as I was going through it, I think it's one of the when you know, it's the one of the bits in the caves where all the 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 togs or whatever what oh, one they called the trogs the trogs the trogs that's right when they're all kind of running around and I'm just kind of and I just remember writing <laughs> to myself in my notes I was just like it's it's just not even fun to make fun of the effects it's no. just not <laughs> and there's a, there's some lovely bits where it looks like K9 is actually hovering over the rocks as he's as oh, he's coming yeah. to shore but I don't yeah, know I just I just and Actually, in episode one, which I personally think is the best of the four, um, there are some really ambitious effects in that. I, I think the sequence where the rocks are all drawn to the spaceship and then the, the spaceship bursts free, I think that's one of the most striking mm-hmm. visual effects shots in the classic series. And that's in oh, un- no, absolutely. That's in Underworld. You know, I, I, I didn't expect yeah. something that good to be in this story. Oh, it's. To be honest, there were a few instances where it did completely take me by surprise, particularly in the first episode. There were moments where I was going, like, that's like, for Doctor Who in the 1970s, that's a stunning model shot. Or that's a. It even opens on a pretty decent, like, pan of the galaxy. And there's Um, a uh, a really nice um, shot of the spaceship as well going over, isn't it? Which felt very Star Wars. The spaceship kind of goes right over the Mm. camera. Although, uh, to, to our to our listeners, this is something you'll find with us where, you know, Joe and I will be talking about something, usually from cheap seasons, like season 17, and we'll be like, that's a very good model shot. <laughs> Look, Look I'm, I'm sorry, but when it comes to Underworld, I have to find my gems where I can. Yeah, you know what? I'm not here to deprive your pleasure. Since, you know, we're here to celebrate the Underworld to the three fans that of it that there are oh we've gone from two to three wowzers um okay yeah, yeah. okay here's something then when the story opens leela is standing in the tardis um fiddling with a huge knob on the console what is that and she's is she piloting the tardis in that first scene when did she learn to do that I have no idea. I was watching that and I was just like, I mean, I haven't watched all of the Leela stories and I haven't watched them in, you know, a chronological but I was kind of like, I feel like I've never seen her, like, control the TARDIS mm. or at least even know the systems well enough to actively sabotage it. Um, 
But I, I, I actually, I one of the things I will defend is when Tom Baker just bursts in in like painting gear for yeah. no reason at all, and there's no explanation given whatsoever. And is he wearing it again at the end? I seem to remember. He does wear it at the end. Yeah, yeah he does wear it at the end. So you can clearly tell they filmed the beginning and the end of the story in like oh. one day, in the, in the same day. And yeah, I think those are two of the best scenes in the story. I, I really like the bit where yeah. the um, the scanner opens and it's just absolute blackness. So yeah, cheapness again. They've got they haven't even got stars. Um, and the doctor's kind of looking out. Um, and I don't know. There's there's something about um, I can't remember what he's saying, but he's basically suggesting you know the endless oh, possibilities I- of the universe. Oh no! I I I wrote the line down. Oh, hit me. Where I wrote um, where he's like, he said, um, "That's intensely interesting." Do you realize there's nowhere to go? And I very meanly put the note after that: grim prognosis for the rest of the episode, Doctor. <laughs> um, Actually, it is and, a pretty uh, grim. Ep- oh, sorry, go on. Uh, but the the line that follows is uh, we're on the edge of the cosmos, the frontier of creation, the boundary between what is and what isn't, and it's, uh, it's which li- is a literal really blackness. Uh, that is Doctor Who in a nutshell, isn't it? Making magic out of nothing. Yeah, I and I think you know it's it's a story that promises a lot in the dialogue. Like they they talk about they're talking about all these daring. Things like you know rocket ships going into like nebulas mm-hmm. and planets forming, um, but kind of in the dramatic presentation, it's a bit, it's a, it's less exciting. It's um, and like you say, it's it's a pretty um, drab outlook. I, I quite like that in the first episode. Um, there's a line where I can't remember what the the commander's called. It's like a ship of ghosts oh, going no. on and on. And that idea of this crew that are like perpetually regenerating on an endless quest. Um, I, I do wonder if that's why they all seem so bloody bored, though. Because honestly, <laughs> those guest characters have got no oomph about them at all. In, in sharp contrast oh, no. to Reboss that we watched last time. Oh, yeah. Like I made, I think I made a very pointed note where I was just like, it's, you have this weird thing where not an awful lot really happens in Underworld, and it's a re- and it's a bit of a bore. But then again, nothing, not a lot really happens in the Reboss operation either, and yet it is such a charming and characterful little story. Because it's, I mean, um, I find in Underworld, like, unusually for a Graham Williams-era story, all of the humour has just been sapped out of it. And when you take the yeah. humour out of Doctor Who, the result is it's just really quite dull. Yeah, which is it's, it's something that I find very interesting about this story because I don't think it's the worst Doctor... Because it often appears on these worst Doctor Who story lists. And I don't necessarily think it is. I think there are worse stories than Underworld. It's ambitious. Think- it's, it's got like big ideas in it. It's, it's playing around with some huge notions. I'll give it that. Yeah, but- but as far as like dramatic presentation goes, yeah. it is probably the dullest story. Because, <laughs> um, because, uh, sorry, you were. I feel like well, you were about I, to say something. I know. I agree, and I just don't think there are any guest characters at all that you care about in this story. And I've, that's a big thing for me. 
if if um, if the Doctor and the Companion seem a little bored, and they do in this story, I don't even think Tom Baker seems particularly engaged, and that's really rare, especially in this era. But when yeah, like there's a, a moment where is it Edas, the young slave that they befriend? His dad's in like yep. deadly danger and about to be sacrificed, and I'm like, why do I care? Like we we haven't got to know him, we haven't got to know his dad. There's no emotional connection whatsoever. Kill him. I don't care. And that probably oh, wasn't the approach they were going for. Oh, and there's definitely the point where I think it's in, epi- in the final episode where they're buried in rubble. And I, and I would just, just like, oh, that guy is still here <laughs> in glory. That guy. You couldn't even remember his name. That guy. I, I'm really sorry, but I can't. Like, I tried. I'm going to tell people. I tried watching Underworld. I think I was messaging you. Like, I had a bit to drink on the night where I was planning on watching it. I'd say that's medicinal when you're watching this. And I tried. I really did. But within, like, five minutes, I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I'm turning this off. (laughs) But if I asked Um, you now to name the guest cast of Reboss Operation, you could do it in a heartbeat. If I asked you to name the guest cast of Underworld, I think you'd struggle. Um... I mean, you can. I think you can kind of get away with it just because um, uh, they they're, they're all analogous to um, you know classical Jason and the agro, uh, Agronauts kind of characters. Argonauts? Like they even Argonauts? Argonauts. Yep. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to our you know <laughs> Greek mythos viewers. There, I'm very sorry. Actually, you've opened up an interesting yeah. avenue there because I know nothing at all about the Argonaut myth and it wasn't until the end where it's made explicit and so the references throughout none of it really kind of connected with me at all mm-hmm. not until not until it was actually explained to me you know like a little school lecture at the end of the story yeah are, are you more familiar did you did you get that from this at least are you, are, you know have you studied Greek mythology um, not in any serious depth, but you know, I kind of, I got, I got it in the vague sense of you know visual design that they gave the characters. So it's like they're very much going for this kind of classical mythology meets sci-fi meets Doctor Who. Um, <clears throat> and I was like, that's, I mean, it's an interesting mix of ideas. And on the bonus features, I think you have Anthony Reed talking about how. You know, you could um, side the parable, the ancient parables really work well and and when reimagined in sci-fi contexts. And I could see what he was saying, but it didn't resonate a whole lot with me because the presentation in the story just wasn't as interesting. Because I remember on the DVD, they're explaining the original myth. And I was was just sitting there. It sounds sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Like... I was just like, wow, they're they're sailing off to find the Golden Fleece. And I'm just kind of like, I wish I was watching that. (laughs) Um, There's a few movies, I think. Yeah, but the funny thing is is that you mentioned the the very kind of vapid guest characters. Mm -hmm. And it was at the end of part four where I realized, because, you know, in the first episode, there's that woman on the bridge who's very young. Oh, Varna? I don't even know. I don't know their names. The blonde one. Yeah, oh, you shouldn't expect me to remember their names. That implies I care. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the the woman yeah who is regenerated and is made younger and she does not appear in the story at all again until the end yeah. and she's she's just sat on the spaceship the whole time she's and I the remember token woman they, that's why yeah i remember they rejoined the spaceship and i was just thinking you know you didn't miss much no you didn't miss anything. But we didn't miss her either. She was so unmemorable in that first episode that I think the most memorable thing about her character is the special effects shot where she's put on like the regenerating couch and there's like this huge mm. wide angled shot of all these couches. Now that's, that's the joy of CSO because that shot is actually quite stylish. Mm. And it, but this is the odd thing about um, Underworld for me, which is that it, it's, packed to the brim with like quite ambitious and interesting ideas but if there is no sense of drama to anything in it there's no sense of character it's all just ideas yeah i um, what well, you say that though i think that you're right the, the bare bones of the story are quite ambitious but ultimately this is a story about a mad computer guards Slaves. These are all Doctor Who cliches. Yeah. It's it, there's nothing especially original here beyond stealing oh. from the myth. You know, there's nothing. Oh, and I and I think later on in the story, I I was actively noting that a lot of this seems like a retread of the face of evil. Um, it is a retread of the face. Like, it's exactly that. I've got that in my notes as well. It's, yeah. a, it's a spaceship like with descendants uh, being controlled by a mad computer. And you even, and it's even, you know, a step further where you can even say, like, you know, the Doctor is kind of perceived as a god figure, mm. um, as a Time Lord. Because, you know, there's a whole thing of the minions, uh, the Time Lords were um, their gods, which it's is a bit that- similar to the face of evil with the computer, which models itself off of a bad program of the doctor i thought that was really interesting and that was something that kind of wasn't done very often back then was like adding to the time lord mythos but nothing was done with it it was kind of brought up in episode one and i and i figured that they would go yeah. into that in a in a bit more depth and that's just kind of dropped in favor of yeah. the usual cliches it was so strange because i was sitting there going wait what i don't remember such an important bit <laughs> of like the show's mythology happening in Underworld. Grief, don't you remember the tale of the minions from Minyos? Yeah, as soon as they're like, yeah, our treatment of the minions is the reason we have a non-intervention yeah. policy. I was like, what? what? Never mentioned ever again. Actually, something I found very funny was that, you know, there's the bit at the end of the first episode where the, and the beginning of the second where the 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 rocks are piling onto them and they're kind of forming like a small asteroid essentially and god bless dudley simpson in that moment sorry the music's great in that scene oh music's funny and it's so sweet like the effect is actually quite lovely particularly because it looks like a bunch of rice krispies falling (laughs) on top of the model um but but the thing was i i sat there and i was just like this kind of reminds me of the runaway bride with the whole revelation with Ragnos that they form the planet the center of the planet Earth. I say that it is a bit more interesting in the runaway bride. It is more interesting in the runaway bride, but it goes to show that the ideas at play here are actually 
really interesting. They're just lethargically executed. Like the story on the whole. Yes. I mean, this was this was the first time director that directed this story. Like, I think he was like a um, like a first assistant director or something. Like that. He was the guy that was on set that called the shots for the director. That was his role before this. And he was given this story, I think, because um, he was really good at like positioning people. And obviously, with all the CSO, they needed. I don't think he was an actor's director because I don't think he gets the best out of any of his actors. No, and you. I think in the moments, particularly a lot of the moments with Leela and um, the Doctor, you can. I think it's very obvious in this story that it is Tom Baker and uh, Louise Jameson who are. Putting the putting in the hard work for these the cute little character moments. But I don't know. You, um, you've got the most charismatic doctor here, and potentially the best acted female companion. And even mm. they can't raise this story. Like I can't believe they're getting yeah. material this drab. But when you I think know, of kind of what's come, robots, talons, horror, fang rock, image of the Fendal. Yeah, we're losing Louise Jameson in one story, and this is what she's. Being forced at the end of the story, she stands. I think I sent you a screenshot. She stands there with her hands on her hips, looking really bored, and that's the climax of the story. I know. I I literally wrote a note in my on that. uh, You know, in episode one, when the spaceship is crash landing into the nebula, they are both just sitting on chairs. (laughs) They're just they're just sitting there watching the story unfold. And then in the final episode, when they're escaping the planet, they just sit down in the chairs again. But do you think uh, a director like Douglas Canfield um, could have brought this to life more dynamically? I mean, is this just a, a casualty of how it was made and the rush that it was made I, in and the lack of resources? Or is it a lack of creativity in the direction? I don't think so. I think the director's hands would have been tied regardless of who it was. Because the one thing I noticed was that almost all of the shots, uh, as soon as you get to the CSR, is that they're all like wide shots. They're as big as possible. Mm. And they're in there because obviously they're trying to accommodate for the tunnels, but because they don't have the set and they're working with technology they've never used before, they don't really know what they're doing and what it's all meant to look like. Cause they, obviously they say they use sort of storyboards, but everything is in like either big wide shots or mid range sort of close-ups. There's nothing really per, like yeah. there's the a, a lack of, um, it's all very samey, isn't it? It all looks very samey. Yeah, and it's. I don't think it's not because the director wouldn't have been invested in trying to get like some character work. It's just that I don't think he that they could have because they had to accommodate for this world that had to be superimposed into the into the production later. I can't imagine a, a series where there's so little budget left at the end of the season. You can't even build sets. Oh, and that's just I absurd. I mean, that just it, just, it would never happen now, would it? You know, everything would be, the budget would be kind of structured very specifically. Wow. All right. I think we had a little technical break there, but we're back now all of a sudden. We are um, operating off 
software that we're getting familiar with and uh, we're in different sides of the world. So apologies if there's any abrupt transition. Uh, I will. Neither one of us is the most technically minded of people. So please bear with us. I will seamlessly transition back into our discussion (laughs) with a question. Uh, uh, Actually, well, I, I had a silly question. I had a serious question. Oh, let's have a silly one. My silly question was, because obviously we were watching Underworld throughout the week and, you know, a working week as well. I was going to ask, did Underworld improve or detract from your week? Oh, um, okay. So it improved it in the sense that I would be able to discuss it with you at the end of the week, which is something I always love doing. Um <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, an infringement upon one of my rare days off to have to spend an hour and a half watching this story. Um, And personally, I watched through the special features again, and this is one of the very few stories where the special features is actually a more interesting tale than the story itself. Um, (laughs) And I actually watched the special features between episodes three and four, um, to give me like the impetus to keep going and and watch the end of the story, so I would say yes, it did on the whole. Um, but probably because of the podcast rather than the story itself. Yeah, I was going to say I like the fact that you said yes because watching Underworld served a greater pleasure. <laughs> but um, the it reminded me that things in the world aren't that bad. Well, if that's the, anyone's main takeaway from uh, Underworld, then maybe they did do good back in 1978 Indeed. or 77 or whatever it was, um, probably 78. Um, but, yeah, no, the serious question oh, I was going to ask you, and I it. say serious in, like, air quotations, um, but um, do you think Doctor Who, and I maybe in this instance I'm referring exclusively to classic Doctor Who, do you think it can do? Do you think because it, it? Do you think it can do ancient mythology? Like it can do these ancient myth stories? Because obviously, um, the classic series it, it was rife with pillaging of you know, uh, robots of death. You got Agatha Christie. You got Hammer Horror. You got Mary Shelley. You got a lot of literary presences. But the three, but like, any time it seems to go for like ancient mythology, it also seems to go a bit pear shaped. And I know this. And I'm going to make a point about saying this because when I was little, um, okay, so for, for clarification, I have not listened to Underworld in 10 years. Wow. And that is because I, I got it as a birthday present because um, my parents knew I was getting into classic Who and they saw this box set of, cla- of various classic Doctor Who DVDs and it was called Myths and Legends. And that's such a cool title. And in that box set are three of the worst stories in the popular condition. Dare you. The Horns of Nymon was on that set. The Horns of Nymon was there. Underworld was there. And the glorious Time Monster. And and the Time Monster. All three stories are, I think, widely disliked by some fans. The Time Monster, just the most insanely ambitious Doctor Who story of all time. Are you telling me you didn't enjoy that one either? 
Oh no, I I find Horns of Naimon and the Time Monster incredibly enjoyable, but my enjoyment of them does not translate into me thinking they were successes. Which uh, goes back to my question: Do you think classic Doctor Who can do ancient myth stories and do them well? Probably not. None of the stories that you mentioned are turn up in the you know upper echelons of any story lists. In fact, they're usually mm. somewhere very near the bottom. I think, I always think Doctor Who should be ambitious. I always think they should be reaching. Um, but I think you need to know your limitations as well. And with all three of these stories, uh, they're reaching a little bit too high. And I wouldn't want to squash ambition. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say, don't don't try and do something kind of beyond your resources. Because at times when Doctor Who has done that, it's pulled it off really well. It's, it mm. just seems to be when they're going for big and epic, the, obviously the budget just isn't there. You know, if this, yeah. if this was a new series story, they could have pulled it off spectacularly well. Um, they would kind of inject... Uh, sort of more emotion into it as well so I think we'd be more invested in the story as a whole um, well but they'd have the money they just they would have the money and the technology to to make this feel as kind of epic as it wants to be when actually what this feels like is you know it's being made out of a very small studio mm. yeah so, I don't really answer your question there's yes and no Yes, yeah, they I, should try. No, they should understand what they have to play with. Oh, that's that's an interesting answer because I was gonna, I think, and I think you've kind of answered my follow up question because I was gonna ask what, what, why do you think it that it's like classical mythology stories are hard for the classic series to do as opposed to more conventional literary stories? Well, they did in something. You look at the Philip Hinchcliffe era where they did a lot of um, homages to classic horrors. And he always started, he says it in every single documentary, he started every story with, can we do this? Can we achieve this? Can we make this look good? And I think mm. there is something, like those Hinchcliffe stories are very popular. They're very good. Um, there is something in kind of lowering your your heights you know and and working with what you've got because it really worked there whereas williams era stuff is insanely ambitious at times you know a, a mm. space jumping planet that eats other planets I can, mm. I can see why they got that script and i think it, it was destined for the bin before pennant Roberts salvaged it and said, no, 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 we can do this. I'll, I'll, I'll make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look at the Pirate Planet. It's amazing, you know, and it's, it's it, again, it's overly ambitious, but my God, they had a go and it's very entertaining and I'm glad it exists. And so, and I suppose, I guess, at least with these mythic stories, there is quite a, 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 a real scope to them that is built into the concept inherently. Because mm. um, I think, by comparison with a lot of, say, Hinchcliffe adaptations of literature, um, I think you know it's a it's a kind of recurring trope that a lot of people have picked up on over the years. But like the kind of villains that like Robert Holmes would like to do in 
his literary plunders are villains who are, you know, past their prime and they're um, seeking to retain their further glory, that return to their status and power and glory. Like the scope and the epic scope and sweep of their of these characters and those stories is is implied as opposed to portrayed necessarily. Well, interestingly, when we mentioned um, Face of Evil earlier, um, I Ooh. would say visually that's one of the few Hinchcliffe stories that really struggles. It's playing with like the same ideas, and again, they're very ambitious ideas, and I, the money isn't quite there to pull off all those ideas in that story. And that's one of the few kind of Hinchcliffe ones that approaches the the Williams era of ambition in storytelling, at least. Whereas it's, it's like you look at Holmes's probably most common trope is possession, which costs absolutely yeah. nothing at all. Just a good actor and maybe some makeup um, or the, you know, special effects that way. But Yeah. But even then, most of his villains are usually wearing masks anyway. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, so it's a toughie because you try and be very ambitious and you get the wet planet which is obviously so far beyond the resources of what Doctor Who can achieve, it's a bit of a joke. But I don't know. Are you happy that the web planet exists? Are you happy they tried? Oh, absolutely. It's, I think it's a weird thing with Doctor Who fans sometimes is that they'll be very harsh on stories that are, you know, ambitious failures. And they'll prefer something, and they'll sometimes prefer things that are a bit more conventionally done because the quality is more you can assure that a bit more because of the consistency but i think the reason we all love the show is because it is so outlandish in the way it experiments and the way it's willing to let itself fail and you know it frequently does but bless its heart for so blade brazenly gunning down the barrel just to give it a go well, I have a question for you then on the back of this. Yeah, oh, yes. The, the fact that this story was completed at all is a miracle. When you watch yes. this bit, you can see, you know, it was a, a real slog. Mm. Was all that extreme effort worthwhile? Or should the budget oh. have just been poured into the Invasion of Time? Which is another story that is very ambitious and struggles because of lack of money. Should they have just yeah. had one story less and poured all of that money into like the season finale? Oh, that oh, in a way that feels like a mean question, but well, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Nice. Yeah, no, you're, you're quite right. Quite right, too. This is this is some hard hitting journalism right here. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's it's hard not to have that feeling by the end of it. Um, I think, like the only really you do get some interesting ideas and with is that the, enough, the minion is that enough um, ideas is that uh, enough to hang a story on with no money I mean that is that if that is nothing that is nothing else if not the winning ethos of the show that we love um, but at least in underworld the problem is is that oh, the problem is that there, there's no drama there's just yeah. ideas. Like, You're right. And and you know the thing that makes that that this thing is so sorely lacking is I, either drama or comedy. 
Do you um, think in in if this had been like a new series story? Yeah, I feel like the ending in particular would be like this. We'd have emotional involvement with the crew and their quest, yeah. who will probably be played by you know very popular celebrities right now. Yeah. Um, and at the end, I don't know. There'd be like a, it would be celebratory and you know, a swelling of music, and you know we got to the end. We saved the slaves. We found our descendants. Da 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 da. Yeah, it would all be. Yeah. It would be spectacular, and it would be. Yeah, uh, the Murray Gold music would be swelling. Like a release of emotion. Yeah. At the end of this, it's just all like, yeah, we saved the slaves. Oh well, there we go. We're we're going yeah. our merry way now, and it's just. Oh yeah. I just felt like okay. Wow, that was worth watching. Like, yeah, the doctor and Leela literally bugger off at the end. As soon as the story's done, they're like, "Yep, we're out." Yeah. And can you? I'm sorry, I'm completely segueing now, but I'm going into that last episode. Can you believe those villains are so stupid that he hands them the pair of bombs and says, "No, no, no, that's not the race bank. That's a pair of bombs," and they still take it to the computer and put it in, going, "Ah, oh, you can't fool us. You must think we're really and stupid." And the computer just sits there going, how? How could I have been fooled? <laughs> I love destroying myself. It's, and it's not even like the face of evil had a computer that was based on the Doctor's personality. It was quite witty and personable. This computer is talking in cliches. I... <laughs> You know, there were moments where I genuinely had to turn the volume up. I was like, what is this computer saying? I have no idea. What is it she's screaming um, at the end? Get them out of here. Get them out of here. Um, oh, uh, but to answer your question, your original question, mm. and this is a flippant answer, because be, you know what? You're probably right. The money should have gone into yeah. the invasion of time. However... This this story deserves to exist. Just <laughs> are you for sure the bit? This no no no. I'm I'm dead serious. This story deserves to exist just for the moment where they're they're descending down. The Doctor Leela and the other slave oh man. Oh my I'm, god! Are you talking about the, the trippy bit with the jolly? It's so funny. It is what the, the hell though? Thing in that. It's like this weird bit of fantasy in this really drab story. It's like, okay, so... And the Doctor and Leela are just there. They're so bored and they're just flapping their arms around (laughs) as gravity drags them down the screen. like flapping his scarf or something. And it sounds like elevator music. It's so funny. (laughs) And And they keep coming back. To like this execution scene, yeah, and there are two different tones that play there that do not come. I don't think the director knew what was going on at that point at all. Like, for example, do you remember the end of episode three, which is the Doctor and Leela inside one of these carts with the thing over their heads, and then the cart just kind of goes up and then tips over, and I just got no sense of the danger they were in at all. I I was just like, what's happening? I literally looked away for like half a second just to talk to someone in my house. And then I look back and I was like, wait, what? What just happened? Why is the episode over? What happened? <laughs> oh, it's so bad. I'll tell you what, there's a, the old adage that Doctor Who can survive anything but being boring. I will happily watch Time of the Rye, The Chase, 
any one of these, you know, savage stories, the twin dilemma, they're not boring. This is so boring. Yeah. I, I actually, I thought, and since we've talked about how, you know, there's no drama and there's no character, and you've mentioned that this and is no one of the very, very, no humor as well. I, but again, you do get little, you get little gems here and there. Like you get like, you know, the astronauts telling the doctor and Leela, you will stay here. And they both turn away and pretend they're leaving and then step in and go into the adventure, oh, area, yeah. which is cute. Yeah, but that's, that's, I think that's, that's the actors. Oh, it is. It is almost certainly the actors trying to keep things interesting. But I, I just want to quickly ask you, because you, like, we talked about, like, how there's not much drama and there's not much comedy and there's not much character. And there's and not much money. Mentioned- there's not, well, that's beside the point, but, um, or maybe it's exactly the point, but you, you've also mentioned this is like this, either the second to last story with Leela. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, how, what would you say, what do you have to say about Leela in this story? Oh uh, gosh, so this is her, this is her well. weakest story by a country mile. Like she does have, I don't, I don't really feel like she's that engaged in the story. She doesn't really have anything particular to contribute to it i think in episode one where she has a bit of a paddy and acts like a child i'm not quite sure where that comes from where she's going oh you're all laughing at me like she's never behaved like that before um Mm. there are a couple of cute moments with her and tom baker but i wouldn't say she's essential to the story at all really Mm. i don't know i I can see Louise Jameson is a really good actress and I think she'll try and sell any material. Even she looks bored in moments of this. Yeah. Especially towards the end. Oh, I think the only bit of character stuff that I found vaguely funny and it's, and it's, I think it's more me laughing at the material because it's not good character stuff for Leela. Um, it, it, it was when she's actively defanged when they shoot her with the nice people gun is, Yeah, see, what happened with Um, that? That feels like it should have been part of the plot as well. There's a lot of stuff that's introduced at the beginning. It's typical Bob Baker and Dave Martin. They've they've got so many ideas and they just pump the story full of them without kind of following any of them through. Yeah, I was just kind of like, that's so funny. A gun that when you shoot it at someone, the person says thank you (laughs) for shooting them. Well, you've got that... um, What's his name? Alan Lake, who was apparently quite a name at the time, playing, is it Herrick? Merrick? Eric? The, the curly-haired, yeah, the dark-haired one. So I still can't remember any of their names. Um, I, I always feel like he, he feels like he's in a completely different show because he's actually injecting mm. a bit of energy and oomph into his performance, uh, unlike all yeah, the others. Well, his, his interrogation scene is actually, he plays it with a lot of conviction. He certainly plays it with more conviction than Edas's father, who I already yeah. thought was dead. <laughs> I, I, and it's an odd one for Tom Baker as well. I think as far he's as very muted, isn't he? I, I think he doesn't really. I, very- I, I think he's he's concentrating so much on the, the technical side because apparently he was really quite good with that, and he was helping a lot of the other actors to kind of get mm. those CSO shots done. Um, 
But he, he, he seems very quiet for... Comparing to Reboss again, which is like two stories time, where he just bounds through that story with energy and enthusiasm and humour. Here, oh, doesn't, he, doesn't he say in the climate... I think even he, he's aware of the cliches in the script. The Doctor says, oh, you're, yeah. just, you're just another megalomaniac computer. Even the Doctor knows this isn't a particularly riveting tale. Or a I find it interesting because I think that that compu- the scene where he's confronting the computer is the one really doctorly moment in in the script. I can't remember where it. he. It's not. It's not anything you haven't seen already. But Tom Baker actually kind of revs to life a little bit more at the chance to kind of. It's. I mean, it's very Tom Baker. The reason why he suddenly comes a bit more alive, it's because he gets an opportunity to grandstand against the villain. But how unlikely but, is that for you to have to say in a Tom Baker story where Tom Baker actually comes alive? Like, he drives his stories all the time, but I think this is one story mm-hmm. where nobody really cares. And they give him, some, not necessarily the best lines, what's that thing when they're, like, venting toxins? He's like, it's, you have to blow. Oh, what? whatever blows can be sucked. The less said about that, yeah. the better. Yeah, or just even isn't there a bit where it's like, I'm a time lord, you're a time lord? It's just like, oh dear. The one scene which stood out for me with him was the very last one where he's talking about the mythology and you know, pay attention, kiddos. This is what this was all about. But then it's and it ends on such a unusual oh, note it's when Leo so bad. Kisses K9. Kisses K9, and then the camera just sort of holds for about five seconds, and you're like, what? <laughs> mm. I, I, I really, I genuinely think this story, in the hands of a more experienced director, would have had a bit more worth to it. But it's, it, it, it's just so stiffly executed. Uh, it, I, I find it all very underwhelming. Underwhelming. But I think that okay. I, I think I, you know, I'm gonna hazard a guess here that it's a good, it's possibly good that it, this story exists. If not necessarily from a dramatic standpoint, that. or even, or even the 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 standpoint of audience enjoyment, <laughs> which is arguably the most important thing. Well, but you'd I hope. Think, but I think it deserves to exist because I reckon they learned the technicians and the directors and the crew learned so much from making this episode and using these effects. And you think it's worth our agony of enduring it? I mean, I've seen this story about five times for their education. Oh, I'm not sure it was worth it. Yeah, look, you make a compelling (laughs) counter-argument. I mean... But, like, you know... I feel feel as if with the right money... The right resources, a stronger cast, um, a script that imbues the characters with a bit more depth, so you, you give a damn about them. This could be salvaged. Mm. But it, uh, even I think even the bit you know the really rubbish bit where they're descending via the gravity, which looks terrible. <laughs> you do kind of. Get variations of that scene later, like in the pirate planet, for example. You get the CSO in the corridor, yeah. But it just feels—it feels more—it feels feels smarter and funnier. 
environment. Oh, they they do it. They do it much cleverer and much much wittier in Pirate Planet. They do it again in the leisure in the leisure hive as well. When you know the Doctor and Romana are drifting through the hologram, uh, the hologram zone where they're playing uh, tennis Mm. or squash, and they they do a little running commentary as they're floating by. And that looks pretty pretty dove by today's standards, but it's kind of that's quite fun, isn't it? I like how she's holding onto his scarf as they're flying. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I had a I had a question for you as another question for you as well. Hit me. Do you think? Do you think if the aesthetic of this story changed, do you think this could fit into season 18? Oh, possibly. Yeah, possibly. But the thing about the stories in season 18 is, and I think Christopher H. God Bidmead is a little underrated for this, it is every single story they do have a really strong sense of character. Mm. and have a really quite strong guest cast. So I think that would be added to it as well. But yes, in in tone, that kind of um, dreary season 18 tone, yes, this, 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 I think it could, yeah. Yeah, because I was watching it and I was kind of like, like, you do, the season 18 also kind of engages with, you know, not necessarily mythology, but it engages with a kind of pseudo-scientific fantasy bent to it, mm. which you kind of get here because there's a lot of mad science in this story about how gravity works and how planets form. I'd switched off. Them. Did you did you take all that in? I think I'd switched off. When techno babble hits, my brain just turns off. Look, I, I, I think I listened to it in episode one and then afterwards I switched off. But the stuff I was listening to, admittedly, I was like, um, does, does, is that, does that really happen? I don't think so. I'm not a scientist. So that doesn't sound real. <laughs> I think the only, the only writer that manages to engage me with like techno speak is Douglas Adams, who's, yeah, who makes that- it really fun and, and silly. Yeah, that says a lot. The only person who can make that kind of dialogue work is actually a genius. <laughs> Indeed. That's why I struggle so much with um, some Star Trek episodes. I love the character angle, but the techno babble just turns me off. If it's a techno babble driven episode, then I'm, I'm lost, which is weird and for a science fiction fan. But there you go. Yeah. And we get somehow, we really just like the techno babble stuff. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you feel this is Doctor Who on autopilot? Like, the ultimate example of Doctor Who on autopilot? I, I, I don't think it is. I think it's Doctor Who tunnelling through Adversity. an underground, an underground escapeway full of shit. <laughs> oh, you've just, um, it, you've just raised our, uh, our rating on podcast land now by swearing. Well done. Oh, God, have I? Am I not allowed to swear? <laughs> I might bleep you out. No, go on. Anyway, go on. Oh, no. What have I done? We're going to get cancelled. Shit, shitty, shit, shit, shit. There you go. We're definitely in there now. There we go. Oh, yeah. Now we're definitely in the shit. Um, <laughs> but, um, no. Actually, I, I no, think... I think you're right. You are right. I think there's a lot of effort that's gone into this. And it spectacularly manages to look like no effort has gone into it at all. Yeah, I, I think everyone involved is 
working very hard to make it work, but they're working so hard about making everything else work but that the presentation looks the dramatic presentation just doesn't work. Yeah. Okay, I, another question. Uh, do you do you feel as if you will revisit this anytime soon? No, absolutely not. <laughs> or ever. There is a reason why I have not touched the story <laughs> in 10 years and I had no intention of touching it for another 10 years, a collective 20 years well, until you, we decided we would do this podcast. Let's, let's revisit this in 2030 then. And hopefully the world's God. in a better place. God, um, please, let's not, let's not do that. <laughs> that is a terrible idea. Well, do you have any other blinding revelations about Underworld? Because that's about all I've got. Um, I was going to ask you, where do you think this this particular one ranks in amidst the the? Oh, it's Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Um, and Dave Martin, yeah. Where do you think this rank? What what this story either says about them as writers or where it ranks among their particular works. With Bob Baker and Dave Martin, I think I think they're pretty underrated, actually, as a pair. Um, a lot of their stories aren't considered uh, very popular. But what's, which stories did they do? Claws of Axos, The Mutants, The Three Doctors, uh, blah, 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 Season 11? I don't think they did one, did they? Um, Hand of Fear, Invisible Enemy, Underworld... Armageddon Factor and Nightmare of Eden, which was just uh, Bob Baker. All of those stories are madly ambitious and pretty much all of them are let down by production teams that just cannot realise what they're asking of them. Um, but I, I do think um, a lot of those stories have very good dialogue, very good characters um, and quite engaging scenarios. This does mm. not, Underworld does not at all. Um, I, I, skip forward a year to the Armageddon Factor. Um, that's a really entertaining story. It's the same writers, it's the same script editor, it's the same doctor. Um, I can't really say what happened here. Even what I would probably would have considered their weakest before, the mutants, has some really intelligent things happening in it and has a, like a, a great villain and great monsters as well. Underworld just feels like their story where everything went a bit wrong, where they probably started with a really decent idea taken from the Greek myths, but I, I think it's... The script is the first problem and the production is the second problem because I don't think there's any uh, drama within the script for the director to realise. So I think, yeah, it's probably their weakest by far. Mm. Have you seen any of the others? I've seen uh, I've seen Nightmare of Eden. I've seen The Armageddon Factor. And I think, um, think just how, how engaging Nightmare of Eden is compared to this. Yeah, it's very it's very switched on. It has a very clear message to it as well, uh, and a very strong set of ideas. Mm. Um, 
But it's the interesting thing about at least Bob Baker. You, you like you mentioned, they don't have the resources to realize it. But you know, he, you know, is technically the only classic series Doctor Who writer to have won an Oscar because yes. he did. Um, he won. He got. Uh, he did Wallace and Gromit. Curse of the Were Rabbit, mm. which is a huge movie. Um, it's interesting you, as well, you know, that, that they go from uh, Barry Letts, Terence Dix to Hinchcliffe and Holmes to uh, Graham Williams and Anthony Reid to Graham Williams and Douglas Adams. They, they are, I think they're the only writer that go through that entire period. Uh, and, you hear, and, and you hear people talk about them um, in, like, you know, the behind-the-scenes things, and they're always regarded as incredibly reliable writers. Yeah, I, well, you, I think you can see that in most of their scripts. Hmm. Where they... It's disingenuous to say they just get the job done, but they they do the work. But they also, in the process, come up with a lot of ideas. Now, I don't always, th- from what I've seen, I don't think their ideas always cohere, nice. uh, or or even entirely make sense. But they they've got some proper imagination to them. Terence Dix always said that they their scripts were just overstuffed with ideas. That he would try yeah. and like try, he would try and you know literally batter those ideas into a narrative for them. And yeah, that sounds about right. And I don't know, maybe somebody should have done this that with Underworld because it, as we said ad nauseum, there are a lot of good ideas in play, and so few of them have realised. Maybe they should have just honed in on a single idea. Like you, we were talking earlier about. Uh, you know, the whole thing with the time, uh, the non-intervention policy with the time. Yeah. That's a good story yeah. right there. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, that story could have been told. That, you know, that could have been yeah, the main drive here, that, that actually maybe that was brought up and then they head into the TARDIS and go back and see what happened. I think that would have been a bit yeah, more interesting. And, and, and you do, and, I, and it was something <laughs> I noted personally, you do get something quite interesting because you kind of, they do have the capacity to regenerate as well. Yes. Their society is crumbling and decrepit and looks, it's old and falling apart. And it makes an interesting counterbalance of the time. Or they're kind of like a, not even an inversion, maybe just a dusty mirror reflection of what they could be. Oh, Jack, you're making this sound so much more interesting than it actually is. Why didn't you yeah, direct you this? Miss- you're right. Maybe I'm over romanticizing it. No, but you're not. That's the point. That that kind that is all there. It just isn't. Ideas aren't enough, is what I'm saying. You can have as many um, I do. big ideas as you want, but ideas aren't enough for a story to to get a pass. Yeah, I think it is telling that at various points in this podcast we have gone. Okay, you're giving this story too much credit. We mm. both said that. Yeah, I would be, I would be really interesting, uh, interested, sorry, to hear the argument of somebody um, where this is their favourite story. I would love to hear that argument. Yeah. So if you truly deep down in the bottom of your incredibly weird heart think <laughs> Underworld is your favourite story please 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 let us I know get in touch <laughs> please get in touch because I am so fascinated to hear that take I you would love it you strange and wonderful person 
Yeah, maybe you know how there's that Murray Gold track, which is like all the strange, strange creatures. Yeah. Maybe that refers to the people who who love Underworld. Maybe. <laughs> I, I would just like uh, to hear a really um, smart argument for why this story is is good, because uh, I just can't see it. And uh, uh, trust me, I went into this with a positive mind. I went in hoping to to see the worth in this story and we have we've drawn out some bits that are worth praising but i just think as a whole this is just a real yawn of a story Mm. i um but you know i it i don't think it's as horrible as its reputation would suggest there's more promise in it than i think people like to than people often acknowledge. I, I, its greatest sin isn't that it's bad, because there are loads of Doctor Who stories that are bad and they're relentlessly enjoyable. Its greatest sin is that it is dull. It is boring, yes. And uh, but you know, I'll go back and say this show can survive anything but being boring. Yeah, and by God, it has. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't, I don't have much more to say about Underworld. Do you? I don't. I don't think. I, I don't really think I do, unless me just. It's just me talking. Oh, I did. Have, this is just an aside. I found this really weird. Um, uh, just with Leela. Um, this isn't a big point or anything. It's just something that I'm confused about. Like she's at one point she mentions Ulysses, she, like as if she's familiar with it. And no, I'm just like, he, Wait, he mentions 17? it first. The doctor mentions it first, like a, a few seconds earlier. And she just copies what he says. Oh, okay. Because I thought they were insinuating that she was familiar with the Greek myths and also the story of Ulysses. And I was like, that seems like an odd thing to have survived through the Survey Team 17 (laughs) transition. Maybe they just, that's what they read. But no, no, he mentions it as a very kind of throwaway comment. And then she just copies what, what he's saying. Yeah, maybe, I, I suppose I, I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Also, another thing uh, I really did love was the fact that, you know, in like episode two, Leela is like, you should start a revolution. Has nobody thought of revolution? And she was very right because when they do revolt, they win the revolution incredibly easily. There's actually a parallel with the Sunmakers there, isn't there? That they, um, Edas is basically Cordo. So a, a, a slave down on his luck that they meet and encouraged to revolt. Again, I think it's done with far more clarity and enjoyment in the Sunmakers. God, I'm really down on this story, aren't I? Yeah, I. You know, Joe. I wish. I wish we were the stronger men. <laughs> I wish we were the. Strong, I wish we were the stronger men who could have made the wholesale defense that, you know, this was the episode, the, the, the discussion. Can I just say, I am so pleased you did not choose this story as the one I don't like to defend. <laughs> oh, no. Because I would have struggled. I could not possibly do that to you. What, um, but... Do you want to tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Because we're going yes, in a completely sure. different direction next week. Yes. Since uh, you're taking the charge on that one, why don't you why don't you tell them what what you've got planned? 
rather than a story, we thought we would head off and talk about a character instead. Uh, and mm. Should we do what we did with Rebos last week? Talk about the character for ages without actually saying who they are. <laughs> a quite a quite a popular character, um, a character that yeah. has been around for quite a long time and is still producing. Uh, the, sorry, the actress is still producing work as that character now. We um, we can confirm that Russell T. Davis has mentioned this character by name at least once in the past. And this character has appeared years. in at least 50 novels. Oh, we might have given the game away now. And at least 50 audios. Go on. Do you know... Oh, you're using Well, I know, of course. I <laughs> we, um, we, next week's podcast is going to be on the character Ace, by played by Sophie Aldred. Oh, wicked. Oh, wicked. <laughs> I, um, where I think, I think you said um, you were going to be talking about, you're going to take some choice episodes. Yeah. And some choice, uh, a couple of big finishes as well, mm-hmm. and just talk about the kind of, collective strengths and weaknesses of this of this character who has enjoyed such a long life well i i think that this would be quite interesting because i think you have a far more positive appraisal of this character than i do so it'd be quite nice we've we've had two episodes now where we're both kind of on the same page yeah so maybe maybe sorry go ahead no, I was going to say, so maybe next week is the episode where our friendship officially ends. <laughs> no, that'll be the week where you try and defend the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Oh, God, you did that to me, and I've ne- I'm never going to forgive you. I can't remember what you... What did you ask me to defend? Oh, the chase! <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's really nice. You love the chase. That's going to be a delightful episode. So many wonderful things to say about the chase. Um, but have you, before we tune out, have you made your mind up as to um, which uh, bits of Ace's chronology you're going to be highlighting? Yeah, I think I'm going to look at her first episode in Dragonfire and her last in Survival, um, and then a couple of episodes in between. So probably one from Battlefield, because I think that's her, her weakest. Uh, one from Curse of Fenric, because that's probably her strongest. Um, Remembrance of the Daleks one episode, maybe, maybe just one episode for each story because uh, I don't think that will take too long and then yeah. with Big Finish uh, I was going to listen to The Rapture which I think is probably her weakest story and A Death in the Family which is probably her strongest so mm. I'm, not, I'm not going into it with a negative mind I want to hear and watch all the good stuff as well because I think there is an awful lot of worth there I just think maybe yeah. that worth has been stretched out a little bit too far. <laughs> and it, I, I don't, I genuinely don't think they have any plans to stop using this character anytime soon. No, <laughs> no. I don't know how old Sophie Aldridge is now. It's not a problem, but she doesn't entirely sound like a sixteen-year-old girl anymore. Not so much. I, uh, I I'm going to try and be extremely delicate next week, whilst being very honest. Mm. Yeah. And also, before we wrap up, I have, I think, two things to say. Um, to, I think, one of the 
for, for our diligent, I think, 20 listeners Woo! out there in the world, we were incredibly excited to, I, I, to realize. I, I think it's close to 30 now. I mean, we are taking oh. over podcast land. I know. We're like some Graham Williams, Robert Holmes <laughs> villain in the basement going, soon the pod sphere shall be ours. <laughs> but um, for our diligent listeners at home, you will remember in episode one that I had a question about the Rebus operation, which I could not remember. Oh, my word. And that, I know. I know. And that question was, I was going to ask Joe, do you think the Rebus operation could be uh, considered a Christmas special? Oh, yes. I remember you messaged me. Yes, I do. Very much so. Um, I mean, I think there's quite a few Graham Williams stories that would make wonderful Christmas episodes, including The Horns of Nymon and Creature from mm. the Pit that are basically big pantomimes. But yeah, the, um, the snowy location, the big characters... Um, the kind of the highest plot, which is really fun and entertaining. Yes, I think even in like the mold of you could kind of tweak it and have it as a new series. Um, it would be obviously be you know faster edited, directed, acted, blah blah blah. But the kind of the bare bones of the story, I think you could actually do as a Christmas special now. So yes, what about you? Yeah. Absolutely. It's got a big heart. It's very energetic. It's got wonderful characters. And if it wasn't, and if it, if it crossed Russell C. Davis's desk, he would go, this is marvellous. We're putting this on on Christmas. I mean, imagine how over the top the seeker would be in Russell T. Davis's hands. The one oh, you was... seek is here! Oh, actually, oh, I know we're, we should be wrapping up soon, but you did mention that, you know, if Underworld <laughs> was like... Um, uh, like a Russell T. Davis story, and it would have like the the uh, astronauts would be some kind of guest characters. Who do you think the uh, the guest stars in the Russell oh. T. Davis version of Underworld would be? Oh my word! Um, like, Stephen would... Fry, the Oracle computer. <laughs> um, who would the blondes? You know, uh, Tala, whatever name. Who would that be? Um... Oh, I can't think of... Do you know what? Why is it when this happens? I know I can't think of a single celebrity. I um, See, like, the, the character one? of um, Herrick, that would that should be somebody like David Tennant, really likeable, really fun. Yeah, I do. Michael... Oh, would you get Michael Sheen as, um, as Jackson? <laughs> Starring Michael Sheen as Jackson yeah. in Underworld. Oh, dear. In Underworld. I, uh, We're doing it too much credit again. We are tr we are literally giving Underworld far too much credit, even in our yeah, imagined we're world. We're giving it plum casting. Well, we've just put um, David Tennant and Mike. We put the cast of um, what's it called? Good, Good Omens in it. Yeah, not, not, not a bad idea. Um, we are reaching the extremes of our positives here. <laughs> yeah, I um. I should also, I feel like I should point out before we go that so far, we, and by so far I mean two two episodes in, we've done a lot of Graham Williams, mm. but going forward we, um, we, we'll, we'll obviously be branching out to more than just uh, season 15, 16 and 17. We love those seasons, don't get me wrong, and we will return to them. But yeah. uh, we're going everywhere from, let's see now, The Chase, Not Within the Wardrobe, um, 
the Pandora opens, the Big Bang. Time and the uh, Rani, which I'll be talking about in one episode. Um, I don't think you said what your guilty pleasure stories are, but I'm sure they'll be quite interesting. Uh, if I say them now, people will throw rocks at my house. So, yeah, so we're going to kind of head back to the 60s, into the 80s, and do um, a fair amount of New Who as well. So bear yeah. with us. This is not the Graham Williams podcast. Yeah, even though we did name our podcast after a, after a line from the Graham Williams era, it's just because it makes us laugh. It's, um, another, it's another one of those red herrings. We've, we've just yeah. thrown Graham Williams at you for two entire episodes. But, um, but having... But having uh, mentioned the title of our podcast, I, I feel obliged to mention that uh, hopefully at some point in the next few installments, we, we will have um, a cover art, uh, a cover for our, um, our little podcast. It's coming um, along beautifully and it looks gorgeous. I, uh, it's one of my friends um, who is an artist and uh, I approached her and uh, sent her a picture of the Naimon and uh, she just said, this is the superior being. And agreed. And uh, she is coming up with a really funny picture that will adorn your your screens. It Hopefully will, it very will be the cover art on whatever platform you're listening to. So you will, you will see that. But we'll give her a proper credit as well because uh, she's absolutely, doing Absolutely, absolutely. She did, she did actually say her dad said that if we um, – if we didn't say Genesis of the Daleks was the best story ever made, that he wouldn't be listening or something like that. Wowzers. Okay, so Genesis of the Daleks is the best story ever made. It is the best story. Please tune in next week and we will tell you that again every single episode. <laughs> but on that, note, on that note, we have to sign off with our usual mantra. Hmm. The Naimon be praised. The Naimon be praised. Have a wonderful uh, weekend. Catch you yeah, next week. Weekend, isn't it? It's well, it's your weekend. Yeah. I'm off to work. <laughs> and uh, have have a more enjoyable time <laughs> than we did watching, watching underworld. underworld. <laughs> 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 or if you're really, really having a miserable time right now. Watch Underworld and going back to uh, your normal life should seem far more exciting. Yeah. At least you're not an extra in Underworld. <laughs> Catch you later. Catch you later.